Amen. Good morning, Grace Hill. Good to see all of you. My name is Alan. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Hill Church and just would be excited to meet you if you're new here. Really hope you'd consider the table that Evan just talked about. Please sign up for that. We'll get a nice good lunch for you and be great to get some extended time then as well. Hey, before we jump into uh, the scriptures together this morning, um, I want to talk just for a few minutes about end-of-year giving, end-of-year giving. As you know, every December, uh, the end of the year is a big time for us as a church where people tend to give a little bit more because they're trying to maximize their tax deductions for the year, and that is a massive benefit to us as a church. And so our elders have been praying about end-of-year giving and how we wanted to ask you to consider to give this year. And so this year, I want to continue to talk to you about the Roots Initiative. Uh, And this year, we are asking you to consider continuing to give to the Roots Initiative. So last year, we launched this thing called Roots, and this is all about us putting away the resources that we need to be able to get our own facility. And last year, we were able to put into that account $150,000. And what that has enabled us to do is continue our search for potential properties and facilities around the area and be able to enter into kind of preliminary negotiations uh, for uh, different facilities around the area. It's kind of positioned us to be competitive if you will. And I want to give you a little bit of update as to where we are with that, okay? So we actually have identified a facility that we're currently looking at. It's not serious yet. Nothing's been signed. We haven't agreed to anything. Of course, we would have to go through our members to do that. But I want to give you an idea of the process that we're in right now. So we've identified a facility. And what begins to happen when we do that is we kind of make initial contact. We talk to the landlord. And the first big step, right, is the landlord has to be open to a church. All right. Not only do they have to be open to a church, they have to be open to their facility getting an assembly use occupancy permit, which means a lot of stuff has to happen to their facility, right? And so normally, nine times out of ten, that's it. They're not interested at all. It's kind of over. And so it's really hard to find landlords that are even willing to talk. Well, we found a facility where the landlord is really excited about the potential of a church coming into their facility. So once we get over that step, the next step is we get some initial drawings done by an architect just to see how much is it going to cost to renovate and is it worth even moving in that direction. And so this particular landlord that we're talking about, he funded the whole uh, operation to get preliminary drawings done for this facility. I want to show them to you. All right, this is super preliminary right now. All right, but this is a potential rendering of the facility that we are looking at. It includes a 211 seat worship space, eight classrooms, offices, all of that. All right, and so what I want you to know is we were able to get to this place with this landlord because of our Roots Initiative. He knew that we had the cash set aside to get this process going, so he was comfortable moving forward with us. And so where we are right now is we're waiting for contractors to get estimates back to us. Once we get those estimates, we expect that the first week of December, then we can really begin to look at numbers to see is this a feasible opportunity for us, and do we want to bring this opportunity to our members and begin 
that process. But I just wanted to let you know that our Roots Initiative has allowed us to begin to take these steps. And our prayer is that God would fulfill uh, our, our request of getting us a facility in 2024. That's what we're hoping for. That's what we're praying for. And so here's what we're asking you when it comes to the Roots Initiative. Uh, Our goal this year, what we're praying for, is that this year we could put another 150 in that account. We could double our Roots uh, Initiative fund to $300,000. We're praying that God would help us meet that goal. And we're asking that you would pray uh, about helping us meet that goal through your end of year giving. If we are able to do that, that puts us in a position where we're able to move forward when it comes to building out a facility and getting us into a place and keeping our finances as a church healthy. So here's what I'm asking you to pray about that you would give an end-of-year gift to Roots, and that that gift would be over and above your normal giving to our operating account, to our general fund, all right? We can't sacrifice our general fund for the Roots Fund because we need the general fund to operate as a church, right? You get it. So anything over and above your normal giving to our general fund, please give there. We ask that you'd pray about giving to our roots. Um, And I'm going to be sending out an email about this this week, too, just with a little bit more information. If you're a member of our church, if this starts to get to a place where elders feel like this is a possibility, we're going to bring this to you to begin to start that process. But I just wanted to update that with you. That's really exciting to us as a staff and as elders, and we believe that God is moving us in this direction. And so we ask that you would pray about that. All right, so I'm going to pray for that right now. And then we're going to jump into God's word. Lord, I'm just so thankful for how you have provided for us as a church uh, over six years uh, of us being a church together. And God, we know that no matter where we meet, whether it's a school or as we learned in COVID, uh, outside at a park or in a parking lot or online or whatever it is, that Lord, we as a church can do the things that you've called us to do. But Lord, we also long to have a facility of our own to base our ministry operations and to expand what we're doing as a church. And so, Lord, we do ask that you would lead us to the right facility in the right time, that, Lord, you'd provide the necessary funds. And, Lord, we trust that you will provide those to us. And so, God, I just pray you would lead us as a congregation uh, in our hearts to be giving according to exactly what you're calling us to that no one would give under compulsion or because they feel obligated to, but just out of the overflow um, of what you've already given them. And so, Lord, we just ask for your help in that. I pray, Lord, you would lead and guide us as we even navigate um, these potential options. And we want to do everything for your glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, hey, let's jump into our scripture this morning. If you want to go ahead and make your way over to Philippians, the book of Philippians, you can. Chapter 2 is where we'll be in just a few moments. Uh, This is the first Sunday of Advent. It's uh, unbelievable that it's the Christmas season uh, already. And every year for Advent, what we do is we take the four Sundays before Christmas, and it's just a time for us to think about and to read in the scriptures about the incarnation of Jesus. I mean, that's a big word, incarnation. All, All we're thinking about is this reality that God himself became one of us in Christ Jesus so that he could save us. And there are two truths this morning that I just want us to focus on 
this morning. And here's the first truth that we're going to just spend some time talking about. And that's this, that Jesus suffered so we can have joy. Like this is the point of Christmas. This is the point of Advent, that Jesus came and he suffered so we can have joy. And if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're exploring what Jesus is all about, I get Christmas is a crazy season. But I want you to know this is what it's about, that Jesus came for you. And he came and he suffered, and we're going to talk about the ways that he suffered in a minute, but he suffered so that you could have joy. And I hope that you begin to understand that this morning. If you are a follower of Jesus, I want you to be reminded of this, because I think it's so easy sometimes to, as you follow Jesus, to kind of adopt a view of Jesus that he's kind of disappointed in you. And I just want to remind you, I want to bring you back to the scriptures, and I want you to see this morning that he came and he suffered so that you could have joy. You know, as I was thinking about that this week, I was thinking about my friend, John McGowan. Uh, John was the first person, uh, my first boss ever uh, in ministry, all right? First person to give me a job in ministry. And I gave John McGowan lots of headaches, all right, and actually, it was really funny because this week Facebook reminded me of some of those headaches. You know, when you see the memories pop up in your feed, it says, "Hey, 15 years ago, this happened," and so I had one of those this week. 15 years ago, this happened, and I saw a video of one of the first ministry events I planned. My first job in ministry was I was a college minister at George Mason University. Um, John was my boss at the church that we were at. And I wanted to figure out an event to get a bunch of guys out, a bunch of guys who didn't know Jesus. I wanted to figure out an outreach event that we could do. And so I planned, I was, I was young and stupid, okay? I planned a fight night. I was like, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to get a big field, all right? And I got a bunch of steel barrels and I lit fires in them. So we had these barrels with fires in them. I'm dead serious. There's a video of it on Facebook. And uh, that was the ring. And we, 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 we like boxed. We, we fought each other. Um, and I had music playing. And the reality is it worked. We had tons of people come out to this event. Now, the next day, I got a uh, email asking to come to not my boss's office, but my boss's boss office. And John was there, too, with me. And the first question that was asked was, hey, Alan, um, yeah, last night, well, we saw this video on Facebook that you posted. Um, last night, did you plan a, like, fight night under the banner of our church? And I was like, yeah, it was awesome. Like, all these people came out, all these nonbelievers were able to talk about the ministry. I shared the gospel. It was amazing. They're like, yeah, that's great. That's great. All right, do you realize the liability that this could come back to on our church for you doing stuff like this. I was like, totally. That's why I got the church attorney to write a waiver for this event. And I have all the waivers in my office. Everyone signed one. And they're like, oh, okay, Alan, just because you can get the church attorney to write up a waiver doesn't mean you're allowed to do whatever you want to do. All right, so I, that's the kind of employee I was for John. I gave him a ton of headaches. Well, several years later, I was at another church, the associate pastor at that church, and during that time, we just had a lot of challenges. 
And I ended up having to resign kind of in protest of ways that things were happening at that church. And it was a really low moment for me in my ministry and in my life. It still is a deep wound for me that I go back to and still am healing from. But it was in that moment where my reputation was kind of destroyed. And I was wrestling with the Lord, like, Lord, I I feel you've called me to ministry. I feel you've called me to ministry in this area. And I don't think this is ever going to happen again. No one wants to come near me except for John. John was the guy in that moment that gave me a call. John was the one who wanted to get together. John was the one who was curious. John was the one who gave me another opportunity in ministry when no one else wanted to even come near me. And that was hard for John. John had to overcome some obstacles in order to do that. John actually supported me out of the funds of his small little church. He was supporting me through that. He suffered in many ways so that I could have an opportunity. And I'm thankful for John. I'm thankful that there was someone in my life who was willing to come after me like that. And I want you to understand the whole point of Advent is that that is what Jesus has done for you. In every single way, when you think no one loves you, when you think no one's going to come for you, when you think no one believes in you, when you are your absolute lowest, Jesus is the one who comes for you. He's the one who put on human flesh and has come because he loves you And he wants to see your life turn around. He wants to see your life be joyful in every single way. That is the point of Christmas. And so I want to take you to Philippians 2 for a second. And we're going to study a few scriptures together. But I want you to see exactly what Jesus did so that he could give us joy. Look at Philippians 2. I'm going to start just in verse 6. It says, Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What what Paul is helping us to understand about the incarnation of Jesus, what we're celebrating at Christmas, is that Jesus, who was God, he was in the form of God, right? He's bigger than us. He's holier than us. He's other than us. In every way, he's better than us. Jesus, who's in the form of God, he became one of us. He didn't look at us and think, oh, how could I possibly go and be with those people who are so inferior to me? No, his instinct was to come after humans, sinful, broken, unclean humans, right? In the same way, if I was on a boat and one of my children like went overboard in shark infested waters, right? I, as a father, without even thinking about it, my instinct would be to jump in after them, even if it meant me getting bit, even if it meant suffering for me, even if it meant me having to face the sharks, right? That's the same instinct of your father in heaven. That's the same instinct as Jesus. He saw His creation in the midst of a broken, sinful world, and his instinct is to jump in, become human, and come after 
us in love. And what is his purpose in doing that? His purpose is so that he could suffer in our place. His purpose is that he would literally take the bullet for us. This is incarnation. I'm putting human flesh on and I'm gonna suffer so they may have joy. This was always God's plan. You go back to Isaiah 53, if you just wanna hang a left in your Bible to Isaiah in the Old Testament, about a thousand years before Jesus. Isaiah writes of what this coming Messiah is gonna do in chapter 53. Look at verse two, it says that he, this is Jesus, had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement, the punishment that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus suffered so that we could have joy. Now, I want you to see three specific ways he suffered in this passage. The first one is Jesus put on a broken body. Did you see what we read there, right there in verse two, where it says, he had no former majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. Jesus didn't come as this majestic, handsome man that everyone was in awe of. Jesus came. Actually, he, he came in as an infant. It's a little baby. And he grew and he put on a broken body, a body that would suffer, a body that would feel sickness and ailment. And he did that so he could experience what we experience in this world, so he could minister to us, right? Like my, my back hurts right now. Okay, I got two herniated discs, like it hurts, okay? And so I, my back is one of those things that I'm having to deal with. I love to be active. I want to be active with my kids. I, I coach my kids' sports teams. I do all those things. And yet I have a back right now that is reminding me, your body is broken. And your body is not infinite. It's not eternal. And Jesus put on a body that's just like that, that experiences what we experience. He had a mind that struggled with the things that our minds struggle with. Hebrews chapter 4 teaches us that in the same way so he could minister to us. The second way that we see that Jesus suffered here in Isaiah 53, he was rejected by people. He knows what it's like to be abandoned. If you look at verse three, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He knows what it's like to be hurt to be abandoned, to be rejected, to be left. 
And Jesus put that on and experienced that so he could empathize with our experience in this world. And number three, he was judged by God. We read that in verse five and six. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed, right? The Lord, look at that end of verse six. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus was judged for our sin. Jesus was judged for our wrongdoing. He literally took the punishment and the judgment that you and I deserved. And that's why Jesus came and why he went through that suffering so that you and I would not have to experience that and so that we would have joy. So let me just summarize this for you. Jesus experienced our physical and mental suffering so he could minister to us. He experienced the rejection that we experienced so he could empathize with us. And he experienced the cross so he could literally purchase for us righteousness and promise us eternal life in the kingdom of God. Jesus suffered so that we could have joy and we could have eternity in the kingdom of God. But that brings us back to Advent. Because the season of Advent is all about waiting. Right, just like we sung about and talked about earlier about how the people of Israel waited for their Messiah to come and save them, waited for their king. We are in a period of waiting. I mean, we have these amazing truths about what Jesus has done for us, how he suffered so that we can have joy. And we have these amazing promises that we're looking forward to in the future. But in this season of waiting, sometimes it's hard to actually feel that joy, is it not? Sometimes it's hard to really understand what does it mean for me to live according to these promises that Jesus has given me. Maybe if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is one of your big questions about the faith. You guys talk about joy all the time, but that seems theoretical to me and not actual. What does it look like to experience joy in this season of waiting? And that leads me to the second truth I want us to talk about this morning. And that's this. We suffer with Christ so others can have joy. The, the first truth was Jesus suffered so we could have joy. And truth number two is we suffer with Christ so others could have joy. I want to talk about a verse in Colossians 1 real quick. I'm going to put it on the screen here. This is a verse that has confounded you know, scholars and theologians uh, for two millennia trying to figure out what does Paul mean by this verse. Look at what Colossians 1 24 says. And real quick, the context of that in chapter 1 is Paul just has finished this beautiful, really, poem talking all about the incarnation of Jesus and who Jesus is, that, that God in the flesh came and went to the cross to save us from our sins. So he just talked about and expounded upon that. And look at verse 24. He says this, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you. So he's writing to a church, talking for that church. And I am completing in my flesh 
what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is the church. Okay. A couple of questions. Did Paul just say that there's something lacking in the sufferings of Christ? I mean, it sounds like it's what he just said, right? Did Paul just say that Christ's sufferings were insufficient? No, that's that's not what we believe. But this is what we believe Paul is saying. What Paul is saying is that what he is doing and what you and I are called to as followers of Jesus is to join in with the sufferings of Christ. To join in with the sufferings of Christ as the body of Christ for the sake of the church. As Colossians 1.24 just said, for the sake of the body, that is the church. Right? In other words, listen, we're going to get practical with this, but hang with me up here. In other words, Christ continues to suffer through his people so that his people can have joy. Right? In Colossians 1.24, Paul refers to the church as the body of Christ. Colossians 1.18, right, says, and he, that's Jesus, is the head of the body that is the church. So you have this idea that you have Christ, who's the head, and you have the church, which is his body. The head tells the body what to do, right? My arms are flapping because my head told them to. And this is the analogy that Paul uses for the church. Christ is the head, we are the body. And so therefore, the body of Christ is still present and is still willing to endure suffering so his people can experience joy. The incarnation continues through the church. I mean, Paul expounds upon this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Look at verse 27, right? Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Back up one verse. What's an implication of that? Verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Okay, so let me make this plain for us. In this season of Advent, we make the joy of the Lord real for each other as we wait for Christ to return. We can do that. The incarnation of Jesus continues through our ministry to one another because we are his body doing the work of Christ in this life. And in order to do that for one another, it is going to mean we're going to have to suffer for one another. Just as Christ suffered for us. So what does that look like? Right? Uh, How do we help one another wait and experience joy as we wait for Christ to return for us? Three ways, real quick. The first one is we, we bear one another's burdens. As the body, we bear one another's person. Just as Christ took on a broken body so he could minister to us, we must minister to one another as we experience burdens in the name of Christ. 
That is what he, the head, is directing us to do. Galatians 6.2, right? It says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You want to you fulfill the law of Christ? You want to do what Christ, the head, is directing you to do? Well, Paul just summarized it into bear one another's burdens. And so what that means is as a body, when we have a brother, when we have a sister, when we have a neighbor who's suffering, it means we move to help carry that with them. And that might mean suffering for us. If we need to give money to help bear this burden, then, then we give money. If we need to give of our time and serve someone and help someone, then okay, it's inconvenient. And we all live crazy busy lives and we try to avoid inconvenience all the time, but we go, okay, we bear one another's burden. So I'm going to inconvenience myself to serve someone. I'm going to open up a, a room in my home to someone. I'm going to do whatever I feel like I can do to bear one another's burdens because that is what the law of Christ is. When we do that, we make the incarnation of Christ physically felt. You see that? We are sharing in the sufferings of Christ so that others may have joy. In the season of Advent, in the season of waiting, because Advent isn't just these four weeks, right? It's, it's, we're in Advent until Christ returns. We're waiting. Jesus, I want to see these promises realized. I want to feel joy in its completeness. I want a body that doesn't break down anymore. Jesus, I want to see you and not just have to have faith in you. All of those things. As we wait, we make the incarnation physically felt when we bear one another's burdens. And I wonder if in this Advent season, there's someone's burden you could bear. If someone's comes to mind for you right now, maybe Christ the head is directing his body to act. Second way, we make the incarnation real for one another's. We stay. We stay. Jesus was rejected by people for us. He knows what it's like to be rejected, and yet he would never reject or abandon us. We can't reject one another. We can't abandon one another, even when it's hard. You know, I think of my friend John and the story I shared earlier. When everyone, it seems like, left, he was the one person who stayed. And I wouldn't be standing here if he didn't. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that he helped me in that very moment feel the reality of the incarnation of Christ. We stay. And in a day and age where it's easy to leave, it's easy to abandon, it's easy to ghost, right? It's easy to cut people off. And in so many ways, you are encouraged to do so. We need to be people who stay, who fight for reconciliation. We need to be people who don't let others feel abandoned. We need to be people who show up and communicate what's on our heart and what's going on inside of us. We need to be people who stay. And I just wonder, in this Advent season, if there is a person that you could show up for, even if it means suffering for you, 
Because in that very moment, you make the incarnation of Christ physically felt. You share in the sufferings of Christ. Last one. We fight sin together. Jesus took on our sin. Right? When we read it in Isaiah 53, he came so that our sin may be laid upon him, and he took that to the cross. And so we fight sin together, right? The church, we have done such a great job at making fighting sin an individual sport and not a team sport. Where sin is all about, hey, like you can come in here as long as you have figured stuff out between you and God, but we're not gonna do that together. We live in a culture, right, that would think it is scandalous to actually take corporate responsibility for sin instead of individual responsibility. We fight sin together. That is the way of Christ. We must be a place where it is safe to confess our struggles and where we're not judged for our struggles, but you have people who rush in, who make the grace of Jesus so evident, who make the incarnation physically felt and say, we're gonna take corporate responsibility and we're gonna fight together for righteousness and joy. That's the kind of church we're trying to build here. Be a church that fights sin together. And I wonder if this Advent season there is a person that you know of that could use your help. And by you showing up, you're going to make the grace of Jesus, the incarnation physically felt. At Grace Hill, we are the body of Christ and we have the privilege to share in the sufferings of Christ to make the incarnation real to one another and our neighbors. In this Advent season, what we're going to do is we're going to take this series we're in, A Weary World Rejoices. I'm going to mess that up so many times. We're going to take this Advent season and we're going to look specifically at how Jesus has modeled this for us. We're going to study the incarnation and then we're going to learn from it how do we make this real for one another as the body of Christ? But what I want you to know this morning is you literally have the ability to bring joy to someone's life this week. You have the ability to make the incarnation physically felt in the name of Christ. It's not easy. It might include suffering. But I want to end by going back to Philippians chapter 2. We read this beautiful scripture in Philippians chapter 2 about how Christ didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he came for us anyway, and he put on human flesh. But if we were to back up all the way to the last few verses of Philippians 1, I want you to see everything that Paul says prior to giving Jesus as an example. Look at Philippians 1. Verse 29, Paul says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake as the body. And so if you jump down, chapter 2, verse 3, so Paul begins to say, hey, so church, here's what that looks like. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, Count others more significant than yourself. 
Count that person who is suffering right now and needs some burdens lifted as more significant than yourself. Count that person that you're not reconciled with right now as more significant than yourself. Count that person who's struggling with the sin and they don't know how to get around it. Count them as more significant than yourself. Let each of you not only look to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Christ the head, he is directing us. Who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. God himself did the very things that he is calling us to do. He sees you and he sees me and he sees people who are significant to him. People worth going after. People worth suffering for. And being found in human form, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Let me pray. God, I pray that you would make the incarnation of Christ real to every one of us in this room. Like if there's someone in this room this morning right now, Lord, who feels abandoned by you, who feels like you are disappointed in them, who feels like you are distant from them. God, I pray that this morning they would see in the scriptures that you are a God that loves them, that has come after them in Christ, that you are a God that counts them as significant and worth suffering for. Lord, I pray they'd be convinced of your love. And if they don't trust you, God, Lord, I pray that they would put their trust in Christ right now that they would believe that Jesus, you did come and you went to the cross to forgive them of their, of their sin and you are leading them into a new life of joy. God, if there's seasoned followers of Jesus here who just feel like you're silent, Lord, I pray that you would flood them this week with reminder after reminder after reminder of your love and your grace and use your body to do it. God, help us to be a people who follow the direction of our head of Christ. Help us to be a people that fulfill the law of Christ in bearing one another's burdens. Help us be a people that make the incarnation of Christ feel real as we wait for your return. Lord, we want to end our time now praising you for coming after us. Help us to believe. Help us to trust in you, Lord Jesus. In Christ's name, amen.